This is the Advocatus Intimitati Podcast with Matt Lore, Episode 14. Hello, and welcome to Episode 14 of the Advocatus Intimitati Podcast, the first of 2020. I'm your host, Matt Lore, and I want to start by discussing some changes to the format of this podcast. When I started it a few months ago, I expressed an intention to appeal to a broad audience and not to assume any level of knowledge of data privacy law. But looking back over the episodes I've produced so far, I think I have fallen short of that goal. So I'm going to try a new approach this week. Instead of starting off with some news stories and then having a longer discussion of a privacy law topic, I'm going to spend the whole time talking about a news story that caught my eye this week and hopefully try to weave it into a broader narrative. Please let me know if you love it or hate it by email at matt.lore.attorney. The story that I want to talk about was published in the Washington Post on Christmas Eve with the title, Colleges are turning students' phones into surveillance machines, tracking the locations of hundreds of thousands. I went to great trouble to add a new tag in my podcast feed, so if you're using iTunes at least, you should find a link to this story in the episode description. The article details how dozens of colleges and universities in the United States have deployed electronic surveillance to track students. The first of these systems, Chicago-based Spotter EDU, uses Bluetooth beacons installed in classrooms to track student attendance. Headed by a former college basketball coach, it was designed as a way to electronically verify attendance of student-athletes to maintain their eligibility. But schools are deploying it generally to track student attendance for use in grading and scholarship eligibility. One student-athlete quoted in the story complained that the Spotter EDU app had become a nightmare, marking him absent when he's sitting in class and marking him late when he's on time. This causes him to be distracted in class as he fusses with his phone trying to get the app to work, and has to defend himself against the inaccurate data. Meanwhile, Austin startup Degree Analytics uses a campus's Wi-Fi network to track students' smartphones, and not just in class. Its founder, Aaron Benz, says that his company has designed algorithms to sift through where a student goes, to class, to the library, to the cafeteria, or just their dorm room, and compare them to their peers to determine what is normal. It then generates a risk score and can alert university officials when a student is showing signs of depression or unusual behavior. So what do I think of all this? Oh, where to begin? First, there's the philosophical arguments. Remember when university campuses were all about freedom of thought? Remember when there was controversy over government access to library records? Remember when people in academia had actually read 1984? I think the concerns about infantilizing students in the environment where they're supposed to become adults is spot on. I skipped class a lot in undergrad, and my GPA suffered for it. But the skills I learned spending late nights in the Association for Computing Machinery office are what got me my job at Microsoft post-graduation, not anything I learned from any of the ivory tower academics who couldn't write Hello World in C if their lives depended on it. University students are adults. College is their opportunity to exercise their freedom and make mistakes in a more forgiving environment than the real world to which they are headed. Reading this article, I couldn't help but think of all the ways these systems would run afoul of data privacy laws in other parts of the world. As I often say in my day job, it may be legal here, but try it in Germany and you're going to have a bad time. In the European Union, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, requires organizations to go through a rigorous Data Protection Impact Assessment, or DPIA, whenever contemplated processing would result in a high risk to the rights and freedoms of data subjects. When is there a high risk? Well, guidance from regulators lists out a number of criteria, and the presence of two or more criteria, 
indicates a high risk. This was going through my head as I read the article because it ticks almost every box. The first is evaluation or scoring. Well, generating a risk score for a student's mental health based on their movement definitely counts. Automated decision-making with legal or similar significant effect. It doesn't sound from the article that like any of these systems are supposed to be making any binding decisions about human involvement, but I wouldn't be surprised. Systematic monitoring. Uh, well, yeah, obviously. Sensitive data or data of a highly personal nature. The guidance on this one calls out location data as threatening freedom of movement. So, yep, data processed on a large scale. If you're tracking your whole student body, that's basically all the relevant population. So, yep, matching or combining data sets. It's not clear from the article if there's any of that going on, but I can just imagine someone coming up with the idea to cross-reference relocation data with social media. Data concerning vulnerable data subjects. Well, they explicitly call out children and employees, but this is meant to imply whenever there is a power imbalance between the controller and the data subject. I think that students of a university would be considered a vulnerable population vis-a-vis -vis the university. Innovative use or applying new technological or organizational solutions. Using students' Wi-Fi connections to track their movements, that's definitely innovative and unexpected. Finally, when the processing prevents data subjects from exercising a right or using a service or a contract. Doesn't sound like any of these systems are being used quite that way. So in the EU, deploying these technologies would rate very high on the risk meter and require serious contemplation in a DPIA before they can move forward. But apparently these systems are being deployed with little forethought. The article describes the deployment of the University of North Carolina being so rushed that students were alarmed by a strange man entering classrooms while class was in session and installing a stranger device. The plans were unknown not only to students, but also to many of the school's administrators. I also want to talk about how we would apply some of the principles of data privacy in the GDPR and other laws, particularly lawfulness. For Spotter EDU, installing the app may be interpreted as a consent, but the other relies on an ability to opt out. That would not be considered valid consent in Europe. Even if there was consent, is it valid? In Europe, consent is generally not a valid basis to process employee data because of the power imbalance between employer and employee. Is there much difference here? Especially in the cases where colleges are coercing students to install an app with threats of reduced grades or disciplinary action, that's not consent. In Europe, at least, the controller can instead rely on their legitimate interests, but these have to be balanced against the risks to the rights and freedoms of data subjects. For all the aforementioned reasons, the risk here is enormous, and I don't see how you could possibly rely on legitimate interests to make this lawful. There's also the often overlooked data privacy principle of accuracy. That student athlete who struggles with the Spider EDU app is a good example of when the accuracy principle is implicated. His teachers and coaches are relying on inaccurate data when making decisions about his grades or his eligibility to play. For their part, Spider EDU's terms of service disclaim any warranty as to the accuracy or usefulness of the data generated by their app. The smartphone revolution has enabled mass surveillance in a big way. There's another article which came out in the New York Times last month about GPS location tracking by smartphone apps. It came as no surprise to me, but many people do not realize how many apps are collecting location data and selling it to data brokers, and how it is nearly impossible to anonymize location data. I'll discuss this more in a future episode, but I recommend you do as I do. Disable location services on your phone when you're not actively using an app that requires your location. 
latest versions of both iOS and Android also allow you to only give an app access to your location when you're using the app, and they allow you to see all the apps to which you've given access and revoke that access. Take a look. What you find may surprise you. That's all for this week. As a reminder, I'll be off next week, so expect the next episode on January 18th. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.